a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, I'm Jim Bennett. And I'm Abby Bennett. We're a little nervous that uh, this episode of Dinner Table Politics might be interrupted by our very loud dog who's wandering in and out. Yeah, we just had to, he just drank out of the toilet really loudly and we had to... You're not supposed to tell the whole world that. I feel like people will be able to relate to us more if we if we let out our, All right. our secrets like that. Well, so you, uh, you, would, you would ask that we do something a little different. Oh, can you hear him? There he is, digging through his... Oh, my gosh. He's so loud. All right. Uh, but you'd ask that we do something a little bit different in this podcast. Yeah, I'm kind of tired of just rehashing the news. Like, people can go on the internet for that stuff. Well, the way you, you talked about it, you said you're tired of me bringing to the podcast all the arguments I'm having on Facebook. Well, I said it nicer than that, I think. Well, but, that wasn't unnice, was it? But yeah, that's your favorite thing is to like post a controversial thing on Facebook and then be like, let's talk about it on our podcast. And and you're sick of that. Well, I, I want to, can, can, can I just get your rat-a-tat-tat opinion of the news of the day before we dive into the meat of this? Sure. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders denied service at a restaurant. What do you think? No, oh, boo-hoo. That sucks. I don't know. It's one person. Like, I don't think it should be national news, really. People get denied service all the time. Well, I'm just having an argument on Facebook or a discussion. Oh, boy. O.J. Simpson was denied service a whole bunch of times after he was, uh, you know, after he was not guilty, quote unquote, of the murder of his wife. And Good. Ronald Goldman. Yeah, I, th- I don't think a public accommodation is the appropriate venue to express your disdain for a person. I mean, you're just selling them breakfast cereal. You're not necessarily endorsing their lifestyle. So, all right. Um, well, what? Other, so the travel ban was just upheld just right before we began this podcast. What do you think? Um, I was really disappointed. Um, I was trying to like decipher the ruling by myself, but I didn't really understand it, and it was depressing to me. But well, it's it's depressing to me for a couple of reasons. One, because I think actually on the legal merits. It's correct that the ruling is correct. Uh, Antonin Scalia used to say a lot of stuff that is dumb is not unconstitutional. And you said that on your Facebook. And I said that on my Facebook. That's correct. Well, so I'm going to I'm going to go to one other thing that I've talked about on my Facebook, but I think that's going to be a good segue into what we've been talking about. Um, do you know who George Will is? Mm, no. George Will is arguably the most um, influential uh, 
conservative columnist of the last 50 years. Well, well, William F. Buckley, I think, is probably more influential, and Charles Krauthammer might rival that. He passed away this week. It's so hard. There's so many rock stars of that world to choose from. <laughs> so George Will had a column, his most recent column, that said, vote against Republicans in November. George Will is probably one of the most prominent anti-Trumpers out there, never-Trumpers, if you will. And he was, uh, you know, the probably the, the foremost intellectual defender of the Reagan revolution, hardcore conservative who has left the Republican Party. And he ends his column by saying, and to those who say, but the judges, the judges... The answer is Article Three institutions are not more important than those of Articles One and Two combined. And so uh, that is my segue. Okay. Because do you have any idea what he's talking about when he says that? Like Articles of the Constitution? Right. What does he mean when he says Article Three is not more important than Articles One and Two combined? I this don't is a know. pop quiz I'm on a podcast. Letting down my political science teacher from freshman year. I don't remember any of that. Ugh. Well, so you, well, you're not alone. Donald Trump didn't know how many articles the Constitution I don't. Had. That's a horrible company to be in. I don't like that <laughs> comparison at all. Well, there are seven articles of the Constitution. Donald Trump said he would defend all of them up to eight, nine, or ten, you know, as many as there are. Oh, boy. You know. Uh, oh, boy. But uh, the first three articles of the Constitution outline the first three... Um, oh, branches of the government. Branches of the government. And so when it's he says... It's coming back to me. It's coming back. I think there was some Schoolhouse Rock episode about it or something like that. Uh, is there one about the... Yeah, the three-ring government is the Schoolhouse Rock. It's not a very good one. They're much better Schoolhouse Rocks. Well, yeah. The, the Women's Suffers Schoolhouse Rock, that one rocks. The one... I get I'm Just a Bill stuck in my head randomly all the time. Like, I haven't listened to it in years. And I'll just be, like, doing laundry and be like, I'm just a bill. I'm only. It's so weird. Well, have you ever heard the uh, the Simpsons parody of I'm Just a Bill? No. I'm an amendment to be, I'm an amendment to be. That sounds really I'm great. hoping that they'll ratify me. There are a lot of flag burners who have got too much freedom. I want to make it legal for policemen to beat them because there's limits to our liberty. These oh, you're still going. that they are because these liberal freaks go too far. Oh, that was a long song. That that a long, well, I wonder if I have to pay royalties for it. Shoot. Uh, no, Schoolhouse Rock was wonderful. They used to talk about all kinds of uh, stuff. But, yeah, the, the three branches of government, and George Will particularly has talked about the fact that the reason why Article One focuses on the legislature as opposed to the executive branch, the executive branch being the branch where the, gut, where the president, president operates, the president right, is the right. chief executive. Uh, the founders intended the legislature to be the driving force of creating policy and and doing the business so, of government. So, like, in fifth grade terms, like, legislation, like, legislative branch, legislative branch, writes the laws, judicial enforces them. No. What? Judicial does not enforce them. Judicial interprets them. The Inter executive Oh, enforces executive them. enforces them. How does the executive branch enforce laws? That's what I don't get, because... I don't know. That makes no sense to me. Because all I see in the news are, like, executive orders. Like, how is right. that enforcing a previously written law? Well, the executive orders are very controversial for that very purpose because people think it's the executive branch overstepping its constitutional boundaries. Uh, executive orders traditionally, prior to 
I, 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 executive orders really got out of hand under the Obama administration more than anything else. He, he issued an executive order, President Obama did, that essentially said, we're not going to prosecute a large chunk of people who come to the United States illegally. We're going to use our prosecutorial discretion just not to prosecute. We recognize the law says we should, but since we have limited resources, we're just not going to. So, Well, I, then I read something though that's like Trump signed like... He signed more like executive orders, and I don't, I don't. No, I said, I said it began to get out of hand. I think in the Obama administration, but yeah, Trump has has raised it to an art form, and in fact, Trump was very critical of the Obama executive orders, and now has used more of them himself in his first two years. I think that Obama used in eight years. I may be making that up. He's being a hypocrite. (laughs) That's crazy. A bit of a hypocrite. That's right. But yeah, the the the. Laws are made by the Congress. Uh, they are enforced by the president. And it's the judicial branch that has the right to be able to interpret those laws. So when I look at this decision that just came down with regard to the travel ban, I'm really torn by it because I think legally on its merits it was the right thing to do. It is not the judiciary's responsibility to make law. It's the judiciary's responsibility to say that the law is constitutional. And a bad law uh, shouldn't be struck down by the judiciary just because the judiciary disagrees with it. Well, the other confusing thing for me is how, like, when the Supreme Court has a ruling, that sets the basis for, like, all laws in the future. You know? Like the, um, I don't know, like... Roe v. Wade or, like, the gay marriage one or, like, um, Brown versus the Board of Education. Like, a lot of those, you know, those, like, become laws almost in a way. Well, no, they do become laws. How is that interpreting then? Well, in in the case of Roe versus Wade, uh, it's deeply frustrating because even those who support abortion rights ought to be disgusted with Roe versus Wade. because Oh, Roe, I didn't mean to, to divert this into no, this controversial Well, well no, because... So, so let me explain how Roe versus Wade came to that decision. So, What is this podcast even on? What is this episode on? This episode is on how government works. Okay. And what the president can do and can't do. Featuring abortion. Well, uh, I, I don't and want... And our dog drinking out of a toilet. <laughs> the dog is now sitting quietly in the sunlight. Good boy. Yeah, he's a good boy. He's kind of fat. What are we going to do about that? He's overweight. Uh, yeah, that, let's get back to the topic at All hand, right, though. you don't want to talk about dog weight. You want to talk no, about... No, I don't want to shame so, him publicly on our podcast. So the, the way the Roe versus Wade decision was decided is it said, okay, there is a right to privacy in the Constitution. Although the Constitution never specifies a right to privacy, it extrapolates the right to privacy from several other amendments in the Bill of Rights. And what it says is the right to privacy is an emanation from these other rights. So in other words, if you're looking at a light bulb and a ray of light comes out of that light bulb, that that ray of light is an emanation. Um, But light is both a wave and a particle, so that doesn't You should have been there in 1972 when they decided Roe versus Wade. I should have. That might have been helpful. So out of this emanation, there is a penumbra. Do you know what a penumbra is? Um, You're a scientist. A penumbra? That's not Panera. That's a restaurant. Yes, Panera is a restaurant and a I kind don't of know bread. What, I don't know what penumbra a, is. The penumbra is that fuzzy glow around the ray of light. 
And what, and what the court decided was the right to... We called those fringes in physics. Okay, I'm done. Right. Well, so what the court decided was the right to privacy is an emanation and the right to an abortion can be found in the penumbra of that emanation, which essentially is them saying, we're just going to make up a law and try to find some legal reason to do it. Hmm. That's not the responsibility of the Supreme Court. And in fact, the Supreme Court is not constitutionally specifically authorized to interpret laws, to do judicial review on laws. What does it say in which article are they in? They're, they're in the third article. What does it specifically say about the Supreme Court well, in Article it, 3 then? You know, Thomas Jefferson said that the, he was worried that the judicial branch would be the weakest branch of government because it doesn't specifically give it a lot of direction in terms of what it should and shouldn't be doing. And in fact... Uh, the first Supreme Court Chief Justice, John Marshall, just said, we're going to do judicial review. And in Marbury versus Madison. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Political science again. Political science again. Three years ago. They, they just established this is what we're going to do. And so that's been precedent since pretty much the beginning of the Supreme that's Court. That's crazy. But, but that's it's not crazy specifically that it's, outlined in the Constitution. That's wild. Because you think of everything has been like written down since the beginning of time. But a lot of it is like, oh, we're making it up as we go along. Right. Which is Which I guess is necessary because so much has changed since. Well, the 1800s, but it is still like surprising. Well, it, if you go, we, we like to say that, and it's true, that the United States Constitution is the oldest written constitution still in operation in the world today. But it is not the oldest constitution because you go back to the British Constitution. Magna Carta? Magna Carta wasn't a constitution. Oh, but, but Dang it, it, I got excited because I knew what that one but was. But you knew what it was. That's good. I used to live on a street that was right next to Magna Carta Street. I've seen one of the Magna Cartas with my own eyeballs. That's not as cool as it was underwhelming to say the least. (laughs) Well, the British Constitution is 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 an unwritten constitution. It's just uh, centuries and centuries of precedent, and they call the Constitution, but you can't point to a specific document that says this is the British Constitution. Hmm. But the the American Constitution gives the power to the legislature and what's happened in recent decades is that the presidency has morphed far beyond the constitutional boundaries that were originally set for it. And that becomes problematic when the person who is the president is someone you don't like. And it tends to be something that people love if the person who is president is someone they do like. But the president now is seen to have way too much power and influence to be able to do things. Case in point, the Constitution specifically gives the legislature the power to declare war. Do you know when the last time was that we declared war? When was the last time we went to war? Let's Uh, let's start with that and backtrack. Like Iraq or? Sure. Sure, Iraq and is that, Afghanistan. Is that the last time? I think that's the last time we've ever we've done like. But that wasn't the well, legislature, was it? No, that was well. Bush. It was and it wasn't. Uh, uh, actually, I mean, we we went to, we bombed Syria not too long ago, and that was an act of war. But we didn't declare war when we did that, and Congress didn't authorize us to do that. Uh, the Iraq War was done under a congressional authorization. Oh, okay. But it was not done under a formal declaration of war. We have not formally declared war since World War II. I knew that, actually. I was going to say that. Why didn't you say that, if you knew that? Because you were talking, and you seemed like you were headed somewhere, so I just sat back. <laughs> I apologize for that. But uh, you, you, the the... 
Constitution, the one power that the Constitution gives to the president that is really uh, remarkable that he doesn't have a lot of congressional oversight is his responsibility to function as the commander-in-chief of the military. And while there are specific um, checks and balances that are placed on that, specifically the responsibility to go to war, uh, we sort of bypassed that with every major military action since World War II, uh, Vietnam War, the Korean War. How is that allowed? Like, how... That's how how are, that's like kind of terrifying to me that like one person can just decide if we go to war. Well, it's it's necessary in some circumstances. For instance, if you're attacked, uh, if you have to wait until you get a congressional vote to retaliate, that's a problem. Right, but most of these weren't. I guess nine eleven was an attack, but like Syria, we weren't attacked ourselves. Like right. right. Well, and it's a problem. And and what's interesting is the partisan hypocrisy as to how upset you are about the problem depends on the party of the person who's in the office. Yep. People get upset. uh, They got upset at George Bush, but they weren't upset at Bill Clinton. I mean, I can go through this over and over again. But the partisan hypocrisy is deep. but, But the fact is constitutional government is designed, is inefficient by design. This is the lesson that my father, your grandfather, used yeah, to say. Yeah, I think you say this on every single uh, episode we have. Well, I well, what I shouldn't. Uh, I, it's a good. It's a good message. I know. I know. No, I'm, I'm. I support it. I support your message. Well, and that's one of the reasons why you know we talked last week about whether or not Trump is Hitler. One of the reasons why we haven't had a dictator take over the United States is that the safeguards that are built into the Constitution make it very difficult for that to happen makes it very difficult for a chief executive to unilaterally override anything Congress does. But the problem is that Congress, the problem from my perspective, is that Congress for far too long has abdicated its responsibility to drive the national debate and to drive the policy. And it, I, I listen to, to uh, people running for Congress who, talk, who wave the Constitution around and say, you know, if we just follow the Constitution, that would solve all of our problems. And my response to that is that the Constitution is largely a procedural document. Mm-hmm. It is not a policy document. It tells you this is how the government is supposed to function. It doesn't tell you specifically everything the government is supposed to do. It says, Congress, if you want to make a law, this is how you do it. Now, what laws you make are up to Congress. And Congress, to a large degree, has sort of abdicated the leadership role to the executive branch, and that's not the way it was intended to be. So, so is, is that stuff I've said in every podcast? Is, no, that was good. That was good? Yeah. Well, what's your reaction to it? Um, concern, mostly. I don't know. That's, Can you elaborate on your That's concern? troublesome to me that... Um, I don't know. We've I, that we're kind of that we're kind of just winging it, sort of. Well, I don't know that we're just winging it. I, one of the things that's 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 encouraging is, for instance, this terrible stuff that was happening along the southern border. There was enough of an outcry. Congress threatened to step in, and the president finally said, "Okay, well, I'm going to issue an executive order that reverses the policy that I was putting in place." Now, but that was that required so much public outrage, though. Like, right. I like people were rallying at the border, like the biggest um, fundraiser Facebook has ever seen was organized to like give money to reunite. Like that, that was just like, that was just like an astronomical reaction to that was needed to 
change that. And still not a ton has been changed. Like there's still. Well, the executive order expires after 20 days and we go back right back to where we were. If Congress doesn't step in and act and do something about it. Wait, is that executive orders expire? What? Yeah. The executive order expires in 20 days. Not all executive orders though. No, just this one. This, just this one does. They have expiration dates. They can. Why, why would, why would he put one in there? What's the, what's the he, logic? I think that? he would put one in there because he very much wants to return to the kind of zero tolerance policy that he had in place prior to the executive order. I, I, I and I think he's daring Congress to act to some degree. Huh. That yeah. is freaky. <laughs> it is freaky, but the good news is that it's possible to have that kind of public outrage. In true fascist dictatorships, you don't have public outrage because the people that try to fulminate public outrage get shot and they get thrown in prison. Uh, you don't have these kinds of demonstrations on the street in North Korea because if you did, you get shot. So we have a constitutional democracy, a constitutional republic actually, that allows for that kind of a public outrage, and we have a system that responds to it. It doesn't respond as quickly as we often like. It doesn't respond as decisively as we often like. But it's inefficient by there should be There should be a Schoolhouse Rock song called Public Outrage. I think there might be. And it would be like heavy metal version. Well, that's the suffrage song, isn't it? Suffering until suffering, Joe. Oh, you want me to sing that again? I know. I All right. I, I, I guess that's our cue to quit while we're ahead. This is Jim Bennett. I'm Abby Bennett. And we'll see you next week at Dinner Table See Politics. you next week. Hopefully the world doesn't explode before then. 